to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. I am so glad to be here. (laughs) Um, Before we read our scripture passage this evening, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, we come to you tonight in our waiting, knowing that we are waiting in all sorts of ways. We are expectant, we are hesitant, We are hopeful, we are cynical, rejoicing, longing, anxious, and weary. By the grace of your Spirit, we pray that you would meet each of us where we are, that we might hear your voice and sense your presence with us here. Amen. I will be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So many years ago, when I was in high school, I enrolled in a ceramics class. I thought taking this class would kind of be an opportunity to play with glorified Play-Doh, and I also thought it would be an easy elective for me in the midst of all of the honors and AP classes that were on my schedule. But when I showed up to this class, I quickly realized that it was going to be much more involved than I originally thought. For instance, before I could even get my hands on a ball of clay, I had to spend a couple of weeks learning the terminology, learning about the process and the different techniques involved. Now, I will tell you, this class focused mostly on hand-building ceramics, as opposed to the really cool, like, potter's wheel, which in my opinion is way cooler, but um, they didn't introduce that until level two of the class, and full disclosure, I did not make it that far. But I did gain some experience in uh, hand-building ceramics. So for instance, as far as techniques go, there is pinching, which is basically exactly like it sounds. You take your fingers and your thumbs and you pinch a ball of clay into whatever shape you want. 
There's the slab technique where you roll out a flat slab of clay so that there aren't any air bubbles in it. And then you can take that slab and combine it with other slabs to form like a box or some sort of shape that is maybe less round. And then there's my personal favorite, the uh, technique of coiling. And coiling, again, is kind of like it sounds. You roll a ball of clay in your hands until it creates this long coil, and then you connect that coil to other coils to build like a vase or a cup of some sort. Now, in order to do that, you have to practice welding, which is attaching those different pieces of clay together. And in order to do that, you have to use slip, which is watered-down clay that acts as an adhesive, as glue when you're trying to put those parts together. Like I said, way more involved than I ever thought, and you probably know more now than you ever thought that you would want or need to know. The point is that I went into this class kind of with this childlike mindset as a kid wanting to play with Play-Doh. But I clearly didn't realize how intricate the actual formation process is, the small details and the subtleties involved, and the time it would take. To be honest, my hope going in was to have a wide selection of pieces that I could gift for Christmas, but by the end of the semester, I have to tell you, I only had one coffee mug, and I'm pretty sure the handle broke off uh, not long after the class ended. So there you go. I learned that working to shape and create an actual piece of pottery is no simple nor quick task. In fact, experienced potters know that the creative process includes many steps that cannot be skipped over or rushed through. Steps like wedging, molding, trimming and decorating, drying, glazing, and finally, firing the piece in the kiln. And that part is actually the worst because you think that you're finished, but it still has to be fired. It's a creative formation process that can take weeks, or in my case, an entire semester, depending on the particular piece of pottery. A quality piece of pottery cannot be rushed. It takes time and patience and care. And if you're like me, a slow process like that can be quite challenging. Because let's be honest, in our society, we value efficiency. We like our food fast, we want our texts and emails and phone calls answered immediately. We avoid lines and traffic and the DMV at all costs. We want our sermons to be short. I'll do my best. If a package takes more than two days to arrive on our doorstep, we are quick to complain. And we now prefer to watch entire seasons of TV shows all at once on our favorite streaming service, binge-watching, as they say. And if we are forced to wait a week for another episode to be released, we don't really know what to do with ourselves. I don't really know what to do with myself. We hate to wait. We live in a world consumed with instant gratification and consumption, consumed with answers and solutions and neatly tied bows. And as a result, we have been conditioned to push back 
when we find ourselves in process and in much less trivial seasons of waiting. Waiting for answers, waiting for cures, waiting for a spouse or maybe a child, waiting for a job, waiting for a sign, for justice, for wholeness, for peace. We wait for our hopes and dreams to be realized, but we forget how to navigate the process, the process that often feels like waiting. And sometimes we're prone to lose our hope along the way. I don't know what you are waiting for tonight, but maybe you can relate. As much as we hate it and fight it and try to find a way around it, though, as the people of God, we are in process and we are often called to wait. In fact, we see God's people wait over and over and over again, all throughout Scripture. It's a theme that occurs more often than we probably think is reasonable, both in Scripture and in our actual lives. During this season of Advent, we observe and remember the waiting God's people experienced before the birth of Jesus, when it seemed and maybe even felt like God was silent, maybe even absent. And during this time, multiple generations of God's people were waiting for the promised Messiah, for the redemption of Israel for over 400 years. Centuries were filled with the deepest of longings for all to be made right. Which brings us back to the scripture passage I just read a few moments ago. We read about Anna, a person who was a part of this particular waiting season. And I think that the few verses we are given about her give us much to consider while we wait. In Luke 2, we are used to reading about the birth of Jesus, and we often stop right after the shepherds have visited Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But if we keep going a bit and we get to those verses that I just read, we learn that not long after Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple in Jerusalem where he would be presented and dedicated according to the Jewish custom. While there, a man named Simeon, who scripture says was filled with the Holy Spirit, recognized Jesus as the promised Messiah. He exuberantly began to tell anyone who would listen who Jesus was. It says that even Mary and Joseph, Jesus' own parents, were astounded at what Simeon was saying. And it is at this point in the story that we read about Anna. Like I said, we get a few verses about her, three whole verses. But if we engage our imagination a little bit and couple it with our understanding of the human experience, I believe that there are a few clues that lead us to believe that Anna knew what it was to wait. First, we learned that she belonged to the tribe of Asher, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this tells us that she was a part of those generations waiting for the promised Messiah for 400 years, for the redemption of God's people. 
Most likely, she knew in her bones, in her very DNA, what it was to long for all things to be made right. Second, we learn that she was also a widow for decades. She most likely experienced grief and loss and uncertainty and loneliness. She most likely knew what it was to long for comfort and for healing and for companionship. There were probably many hopes that she knew would never be realized as she reached her later years. And yet the third thing we learn is that she spent her waiting time in the temple, worshiping, praying, fasting night and day. In spite of her circumstances, she lived a life of hope, a life of expectation, a life of anticipation, which, if you ask me, is not an easy thing to do. It can be hard to hold on to hope when circumstances would lead us to do otherwise. As my friend Diana Groover, author of a book called Companions in the Darkness, writes, this sort of perseverant, expectant hope is difficult to maintain. As each day passes with no sign of change, no hint that the following day will hold anything different, hope easily loses its immediacy. It grows quiet and still, and I sit down from weariness instead of standing at attention on the lookout. Now, I want to be clear here. Waiting like this, waiting expectantly, waiting with hope, does not mean that we negate our experience or gloss over it or pretend like it isn't hard. Our lived experiences are valid and they are often very difficult. But what it does mean is that we are learning to trust the process because we believe we are in process and we believe that our current circumstances are not the end of the story. Anna did this by prioritizing her faith, even when her circumstances gave her plenty of reasons to toss it all out, to walk away. She took every opportunity to draw closer to the heart of God, not further away, and in doing so, day in and day out, for decades on end, she was cultivating a faith that was able to recognize Jesus when he was in her very midst, when most everyone else walked right on by. Here is what I believe is so beautiful about Anna and her story. It isn't that she got everything she was waiting for because she didn't. Instead, what I believe is so beautiful is the person she became while she was waiting. She became a person who noticed Jesus in a most unexpected form, as a tiny, humble, helpless infant. Jesus could have been anyone that day. There were babies regularly brought to the temple. He was very much under the radar, and yet Anna was able to see him for who he was. And so tonight, 
as we are experiencing our own waiting seasons. The question that I would love for us to consider together is, who are we becoming while we wait? What was it about Anna and the way that she waited that helped her become someone who could see Jesus the way that she did? Because I don't know about you, but I want to become the kind of person who recognizes God with us, even when I least expect God to be there. I want to become a person who waits with hope on my tiptoes in a culture that far too easily succumbs to disappointment and cynicism. And I believe that being in the presence of God was what sustained Anna. I believe that her prioritizing her faith when her circumstances gave her plenty of reasons not to was what sustained her. She practiced the presence of God, and in doing so, she became a person who was able to notice God with her. After all, that is what we will celebrate in just a few short weeks. The incarnation. God with us. In our very midst. And yet, how often do I miss it? Do I pass it by? Do I take it for granted? There's a familiar piece of scripture that has to do with waiting. And it was probably very familiar to Anna as well while she was waiting. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We often hear that phrase in many more verses, that phrase, wait on or wait for the Lord. And it's easy to assume when we read that, that we are waiting on God to do something, maybe even waiting for God to show up like he is absent. But if we dig a bit deeper, if we take a closer, closer look, we learn that that Hebrew word used for wait for or wait on is kava. I hope I said that right. And it actually has more than one meaning. It means to wait expectantly, which is how we usually read it. But it also means to bind together. And so maybe in her waiting, Anna knew that she was being bound together with God. And the same can be true for us. In our waiting, we are being bound together with God, and God is being bound together with us. God enters in. God is present. God is active. God is with us while we wait. So not only are we waiting for or on the Lord, we are waiting with the Lord. Maybe the waiting process is less about what we are waiting for and more about who we are waiting with. God waits with us. God is with us in our longing, our pain, our uncertainty, our restlessness, our anxiety, our discouragement, our fear. God holds us and guides us and sits with us and works in and through us 
while we wait. The miracle of the incarnation is not something to be overlooked. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you tonight, the hope of the incarnation, the fact that God is with me in the middle of it all, is often the only thing that gets me through. As hard and as hopeless, as cruel and unfair as waiting can seem, I have to believe there is good work happening behind the scenes precisely because God is present. God is actively with us. And our call as we wait is to live like we believe that is true. To pay attention to God's presence by being present to the moment, to the process, and looking for God at work. As Henry Nouwen once put it, in Scripture, those who are waiting know that what they are waiting for is growing from the ground on which they are standing. Right here is a secret for us about waiting. If we wait in the conviction that a seed has been planted and that something has already begun, it changes the way we wait. Active waiting implies being fully present to the moment with the conviction that something is happening where we are and that we want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, believing that this moment is the moment. In her waiting, yes, Anna was becoming someone who was present to the presence of God, but she was also becoming someone who reflected the character of God in the world around her. She became a reminder of God's faithfulness, a reminder of what it looks like to hope in God's promises day in and day out, because that's what happens. When we are aware of God's presence with us while we wait, our waiting becomes a vital part of our very own formation, of our being shaped into the likeness and character of Jesus for the sake of the world. And a formation like that takes time. One of my favorite children's books growing up, and really still now, is The Velveteen Rabbit. It was written and published 100 years ago in 1922 by Marjorie Williams. And it's a story that follows a stuffed rabbit who wants to become real through the love of his owner. As the stuff, stuffed rabbit considers what it means to be real, he hears these wise words from another older toy, the skin horse. The skin horse tells the stuffed rabbit, it doesn't happen all at once. You become. And it takes a very long time. We are called to be people formed to live and look like Jesus. But that formation doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen all at once. It takes a very long time. And so the question for us tonight is who are we becoming 
while we wait? How are we being formed through the process? Are we setting ourselves up to see and notice and be transformed by the presence of God in our midst? Are we waiting like Anna, waiting with the Lord, bound together with Jesus? Because I wholeheartedly believe that when we do, we are setting ourselves up to slowly become more and more like Jesus, a continuation of the incarnation, if you will, Christ within us, Christ working through us for the sake of the world. We don't just wait with the Lord for our own sake. Yes, there is comfort and peace to be found in that reality. But when we wait patiently with the Lord, as we take on the character of Jesus, we not only notice God's presence in our midst, but through our awareness of that presence, we are formed into and become reminders of it. Reminders of God's faithfulness, reminders of God's love in the broken world around us. And the love of God, well, it can change everything. Love is patient. It is not rushed. It is not hurried. It is not forced. Love is patient. It is not passive. It is not stagnant. It is not indifferent. Love is patient and love is present. Love is with us, within us. May it be so. been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.